0: We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every american to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information no one is able to come to sensible conclusions for too long a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost the racist sexist homophobic xenophobic God bless America. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of We the Deplorables, the place for faith, family, and freedom, and free speech for as long as we can keep it alive. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, and I just realized that here we are on episode three, and I don't think I've ever said my name. Maybe I did on the first episode, I'm not sure. I want to dive right into today's topic. I wanted to get to critical race theory. This week, but there's so much more that I want to uh, research, and it'll probably be a multi part series. And our subject tonight is probably going to turn into at least a two part series. And I'm going to talk today about the organization uh, called Black Lives Matter, because it and other groups are very successfully shifting the culture of this nation in a direction that we really don't want to go. In fact, if we don't deal with this issue, Uh, Number one, we got to recognize what's going on. Number two, educate others, especially Christ followers, because it's a big problem in the church. And number three, stop this thing by engaging with our culture in meaningful ways. Then we don't do those things. We might end up looking like Russia back in Lenin's day. And I am not trying to bloviate, nor am I trying to exaggerate. And we're going to dive into some of those things in this episode. Let me give you a brief introduction to Belium. How on earth did they um, get started? Well, Patrice Coulors, I think is how you say her name, and Alicia Garza, along with Opal Tometi, founded the Black Lives Matter Global Network in 2013 and 2014. Black Lives Matter was born when Garza posted her outrage over the acquittal of George Zimmerman for the murder of Trayvon Martin on social media using the expression Black Lives Matter. Kohler turned Garza's expression into the hashtag Black Lives Matter. When the hashtag went viral, it gave them a media platform that became BLMGN for Global Network, commonly referred to as BLM. Now I'm not gonna get into the dynamics of the George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin case, but I will tell you that the media purposely left out parts of Zimmerman's call uh, to 911 to make it seem like he was a racist, and they also called him white, which he's not. But aside from that, this was the spark that has now led to an anti-police movement, reverse racism, and the burning down of entire cities. So I want you to listen to this, this was back in the day when they first got started, and it caused quite an uproar at the time. In Minnesota, chants from Black Lives Matter protesters are drawing disgust from police. The protesters took to the streets Saturday in St. Paul outside of the state fair, yelling, quote, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, end quote. Some believe the chant refers to putting police officers in body bags. Many police found the chant insensitive, while protesters believe it's misinterpreted. Statements and chants like that are just ignorant. You know, I find it absolutely disgusting. It definitely wasn't a threat. You know, I don't know if they would have received it differently if we would have said maybe on a stick or something like that. But, you know, we're we're out there chanting. We're using our voices. And the officer you heard from there added he doesn't think police care about an apology but would like for protesters to change their rhetoric. So I don't know if you heard that, but he said, I mean, maybe if we changed it to pig on a stick... Uh, They wouldn't get upset about it, really. Now, the uh, pigs in a blanket frown like bacon, uh, an activist was trying to say that it was a friendly joke. It was taken out of context. So listen to this. This is on the former uh, Bill O'Reilly show called O'Reilly Factor before George Soros managed to get him off the air. A chant captured on video this weekend at a march in St. Paul over the weekend has added fuel to the fire. Just hours after Deputy Darren Goforth was murdered in Houston, allegedly by a black man, there was an anti-police demonstration at the Minnesota State Fair by Black Lives Matter. That video picked up on Fox News and elsewhere, led to criticism. Of the movement was advocating violence against law enforcement. Kevin, why has the Black Lives Movement, well, the Black Lives Matter movement not been classified yet as a hate group? I think they're a hate group. They, they hate, hate police officers. Well, they have strong feelings about No, they hate them. They no, want no, them no, dead. No. Picks no. in a blanket is dead. Hate- they're a hate group. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to put them out of business. Joining me now, Trey Hearn-Cruz. He's an organizer for Black Lives Matter St. Paul, a Green Party candidate for the St. Paul City Council War I. Um, Mr. Cruz, uh, I want you to respond first to that that chant that was captured on tape there. uh, What is your reaction? There are people who see that and say it's incitement, it's called violence, it's dehumanizing at the very least. Do do those activists, do you, do Black Lives Matter activists hate police officers? No, not at all. I I, I want to put that chant in context. Um, We had a great demonstration that day. It was very exciting. It was so exciting that I think the police... Who were along escorting the march, or wanted to be a part of the march, or a part of the demonstration? So on the way back, the officer leading the parade kept talking into his microphone and saying things to the crowd like "Stay off the medium, do that." He was laughing and joking with the uh, with the marchers. So then the marchers kind of started chanting that towards him, and it it, it was more playful than anything. So, um, so that was you're saying that 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 was in a playful context that chant. At that particular demonstration, yes, that was because the officer was laughing and joking along with uh, protesters. People. uh, And and, and he, the officer also said um, when they started chatting, he he said back into the microphone, "Everybody loves bacon." So that, uh, just to be correct, I apologize. It was actually uh, from MSNBC. Uh, It aired September 2nd, 2015. Uh, I just want to point out that um, these people think we're stupid. And, you know, uh, I don't know about the policemen and if all that was going on because they are professional liars, BLM activists. But all we have to do is look at the fruit Of that chant from BLM activists. And it somehow has gained big support and big money from corporations, the media, uh, social media companies, and even our own government. So I'm going to start reading you some statistics here that uh, they're quite shocking since all of this started. And these are a direct result of Billiam and the defund the police efforts, which I will get into uh, more in more detail uh, later on. But uh, at uh, lawofficer.com, uh, we, it's, let's see, I can't see a date anywhere, but I think it's July of this year. Uh, they have an article that says Portland defunds the police and they suffer a 1,900 death increase in just murders. And that's because Mayor Ted Wheeler uh, supported the cutting of $16 million to the police department in June of 2020. And then this was quickly followed by more than 100 consecutive days of violent riots, which are continuing to this day. So as of March 2021, uh, there's already been 20 homicides and 208 shootings. Last year, there was just one homicide during the same three-month period. And I doubt that Mayor Wheeler is going to sell t-shirts on how he defended the police and all he got was a 1,900% increase in murders anytime soon. But he did request... $2 million in emergency funding so the police department can address the violence, but they're still short uh, what should be in their coffers to fight crime. Now, that's not just the only area. If you look at the metro areas, Milwaukee, it's up uh 96%. Now, this is from 2019 to 2020, so I don't have those stats for 2021. Uh Louisville 92%, Mesa, Arizona 82%, Minneapolis 71%, Columbus, Ohio 67%, Fresno 64%, uh Fort Worth Jesus is waiting. Sorry guys, that's my prayer alert. Uh, Fort Worth 62%, Omaha, 61%, Atlanta, 59, Seattle, 56, Chicago, 56, Boston, 54%, Memphis, 51, Denver, 51%, Phoenix, 44%, Cleveland, 43, and Houston, 42. Those are all Democrat strongholds. All of them. That should tell you something. On top of that, police ambushes have doubled. And 128 officers have been killed so far, and that's dated June 2nd, uh, 2021. And the union, the police union, told Fox News that the increase in violence is actually directly tied to the defund, the police movement, and negative rhetoric thrown at the profession. Um, So all of these things are evidence of the BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a terrorist organization, a Marxist organization, of which I'm going to prove, that is trying to fundamentally tear this nation down so they can rebuild it. And that's also part of the idea behind uh, critical race theory. So like I said, we're going to get into the defund the police movement a bit later, but all of this reveals that what this guy tried to say was a joke is a very real issue in America's major cities, especially those ran by liberal politicians. You don't see this type of thing in conservative uh, cities, which again goes back to the ability the uncanny ability of the democrats to twist and create narratives that keep duping people over and over and over to vote them in i mean it's it's unbelievable how people can just look around their city and see the run down buildings and the crime rates increase and all of those things and yet they vote the same party in that needs to change and that's going to take a grassroots education movement uh, that the IRS can't touch. So from the start, BLM was an anti-police movement and an anti-America movement. And I'm sure that part of it has been the insidious and undercover critical race theory that's actually been corrupting our school children uh, for about a decade, if not longer until COVID exposed it. Uh, Because according to CRT for short, America was built on racism. White people are inherently racist. Therefore, America must be torn down and built again. So that's the synopsis of CTR, which we'll get into uh, later. Now, I want you to listen to this quote from Maxine Waters, uh, a fake and obviously an idiot. She posted on July 4th, which, by the way, my cat just walked in, so if you hear him meowing or anything, that's uh, Joseph. Uh, she said uh, in a tweet, July 4th, dot, 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 and so the Declaration of Independence says all men are created equal. Equal to what? What men? Only white men? Isn't it something that they wrote this in 1776 when American or African Americans were enslaved? They weren't thinking about us then, but they were thinking about us now. Okay, Um, first of all, these people can't even celebrate America. Wait till you hear what the Utah BLM uh, founder said about our flag. Now, we know that uh, African Americans, uh, they were... Uh, There were slaves in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was created, but how that all got started, which I'll go into more detail later, but let me give you some uh, information now. Uh, The way it got started was actually British law. And British law brought slavery here. So when, uh, for example, when George Washington died, he freed his slaves, but it was against the law to free him before. And it was against the law for him to free his wife's slaves. Now, some of the American founders were definitely slave owners and they were in support of it, but there were laws that were created that, um, enforced slavery. Now, uh, it's important to understand that it was actually Republicans who ended slavery. And over time, and even in the writing of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, those that knew slavery was an evil uh, thing and needed to be uh, got rid of, put specific language in those documents to provide a legal basis later for certain things to be overturned. Now, I'm not going to gloss over the matter that there were actually – Supreme Court decisions that were racist and enforced, uh, you know, civil rights violations uh, in our past. And so we can't, you know, gloss that over, but it's very important to know our history. And so um, let me give you a little bit of that. Uh, So the Republicans, and by the way, when you give facts, uh, they don't take them because uh, facts no longer matter, like we learned in the first episode, uh, it, it, and I'm inherently racist as a white person, so that makes it a, a double whammy. But the 13th Amendment to abolish slavery had 100% Republican support and only 23% Democrat. The 14th Amendment that gave citizenship to free slaves had 94% Republican support and zero, big, fat, zero Democrat support. The 15th Amendment that gave the right to vote to all men, regardless of color, had 100% Republican support and zero Democrat support. And then the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was supported 80% by House Republicans and 82% by Senate Republicans and only 63 and 68% respectively of Democrats. And they like to try to explain this next fact away, Um, but one of the first slave owners was actually a black man by the name of Anthony Johnson. Now, he had come to America as an indentured servant, meaning he would work uh, the land for so many years as payment for him coming over here and then be released. So he did that, and he acquired his own land, But then he had an indentured servant who was also black, but lazy. And so at the rate his servant was going, he was never going to pay off his debt. So Anthony went to court and the servant became his slave for life, according to that decision. So again, people try to dismiss these facts and wrap it up in a bunch of semantics. But the fact remains that a black man enslaved another black man using the laws of the time in America. So, again, I'm not saying that we didn't have racist laws. We absolutely did. Or racist politicians, which, by the way, Biden's one of the biggest racists that there is. And we also have and had racist citizens. And, again, the Supreme Court had laws that uh, enforced racist things. But we've come a long way. And if people refuse to see that, they have another agenda. And it's plain and simple. So let me tell you what that agenda is. That agenda is is to take over this country by creating division and hatred. So let's go over to an article um, from the Utah BLM chapter where the founder there said that the American flag was, quote, a symbol of hatred. Yes, a symbol of hatred. Now, he said, you know, like when we see the flag, you know, we know the person flying it is basically racist, is basically what he's saying. So he got a lot of backlash for uh, backlash, not blacklash. He got a lot of backlash for that comment. Will anything happen? No. But here it is in America a flag bought and paid for by the blood of Americans, including black Americans, by the way. And they're saying that the flag is a hate symbol. The flag makes them feel threatened. See, that's a lie. It does not make them feel threatened. They're doing the traditional Marxist training that they've received that tears down symbols, histories, and the values of a nation, and it's deadly. So Patrice, Patrice the one that was a co-founder, uh, in an interview, and this surfaced again in a video in 2015, of which I'm going to play, said that they're trained Marxists, okay? So let me go ahead and just play this clip for you from Patrice. Cool. Um, I also think that it might. Um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia, in particular, are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super. Uh, First, um on sort of ideological theories and i think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many many black folk well, um, I- okay so when you hear the term uh trained marxists and organizers uh, that's what that's referring to okay so these people are trained And also they're what's called organizers. So think back to uh, Weather Underground and uh, mayors and all that stuff. That's what they're talking about. So when when you hear the title organizer, that is exactly what a trained Marxist is. And they use different terms, which I'm going to have on a podcast all the different terms that they use. Uh, But I just want you guys to be aware of some of these uh, terms that they use. In fact, Obama and uh, his wife, they were organizers as well. And they were actually tied with the uh, weather uh, underground. Okay, so what exactly is a trained Marxist? And I'm going to end this part. And then we'll dive into the next part, especially how there's some witchcraft and stuff going on in uh, BLM next week. So Karl Marx... Was basically a loser, and he was influenced by a German philosopher who promoted German idealism. His name was Hegel, uh, G W F Hegel. It's a bit confusing, which most stuff that is stupid is, and that's usually why, like how you know it's demonic, is because it just doesn't make any sense. But basically, the idea of this uh, of German idealism is quote. Properties we discover in objects are dependent on the way that those objects appear to us. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, objects are objects. Properties are easily discovered. I don't know why you think that if you're looking at a window or you're looking at a printer or you're looking at a person that they the properties that you discover in them are based on the way you see them. So you can see how this leads to everyone's truth my truth, your truth. And as we discussed in uh, episode two on cancel culture, there's only one truth and truth is actually a person. And so it's this weird idea. It's this vague your truth, my truth thing. Well, after his death, uh, Hegel's death, a group of German intellectuals drew on his idea that the purpose and promise of history was a total negation of everything conducive to restricting freedom and reason. So what they did is they began to attack religion and politics because they believed religion was the heart of the establishment's power. Now, when you look back at some of the things these people were fighting against, there was some definite issues like people barely eating and surviving and uh, religious persecution and things like that. But it doesn't mean that you form stupid ideas and stupid movements that actually cause more problems than they solve. And so, um, you know, this was back in the day where you had kings and queens and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, So Karl Marx, he took the German idealism idea and he determined actually it wasn't religion but rather it was, quote, ownership of capital that was the basis for the establishment's power. And he called this surplus value, which is the idea that human labors labors the source of economic value. In other words, the capitalist pays his workers less than the value of their labor uh, that's added to the goods and only enough to keep the worker from starving to death, if that. So then the capitalist takes a surplus for himself and exploits the laborer. In other words, underpaid just so the big fat cat can bring in a bunch of money. Now, that's been you know definitely a part of our history um, and definitely a part of every country on the planet's history. Uh, so you know that obviously needs to be addressed. But Karl Marx wasn't that brilliant, so he caused more problems again than he solved. So from those ideas came a division between the bourgeoisie bourgeois, bourgeoisie bourgeois. oh good grief I can't even pronounce it let's just say the capitalist and then the laborer now Karl Marx would have like disappeared in into obscurity because, again, he was a failure and he wasn't that smart. But the philosophy eventually led to Vladimir Putin or Lenin, uh, who seized power in November of 1917 after revolution broke out in the streets of St. Petersburg in March. Now, Lenin was a radical socialist of the Bolshevik Party. So when all the dust settled, uh, and again, it was based on, uh, Karl Marx's ideas. Lenin then took those and ran with them, and actually was successful. Uh, a death sentence on the Russia Russian Tsar Nicholas II and his family was executed, pun intended. So Nicholas, his wife Alexandra, and their five children and four servants were photographed and then gunned down. Those who were still breathing were then stabbed to death, and Russia became the world's first communist state. Since Karl Marx's insidious ideas birthed a socialist movement, communist regimes have killed more than 100 million people in the last 100 years. 100 million. And Karl Marx never explained how communication would actually work, at, or communism would actually work after destroying capitalism. And I mean, destroying the state. Like they they, never—they—they figured, okay, if we get rid of capitalism and what they called the state, uh, or actually capitalism, then the state would wither away after the laborers took over. So they had to pit the capitalists against the common laborer. That's what they did. They divided. So anytime there is a division based on race or income level or gender, which is ironic because they don't believe in them, they say which lets us know they actually do. They're just, again, not that smart. Um, So when you have these situations of division start, you know you have to understand there is an agenda, and that is to take over this country. So the belief that, quote, vastly increasing government power was the key to liberating humanity never has really worked. But if you talk to modern-day socialists like AOC and Bernie Sanders, it's because it hasn't been done right. See, that's the problem. No one's ever done it right. We, we can do it right. That's what they say. And so now we have Cubans protesting their communist government because they're starving to death. Oh, and by the way, Trump will be blamed for that if he hasn't already. Or Venezuela, a beautiful jewel of a country now decimated by communism. I mean, it's happened everywhere. So what happened to good old Karl Marx? Well... He was expelled from Prussia, France, Belgium, and denied citizenship in England. He thought about moving to the Republic of Texas during that time. Thank God he didn't. He and his family lived in abject poverty until his death, and some days he couldn't even leave his house because his wife had upon his pants to buy food. His good friend and collaborator, Frederick Ingalls, sent Carl money often, about thirty-six k today within a span of four years, which... You know, that's not a lot of money, but still it was some. He just wouldn't go to work. His own mother said if only Carl made capital instead of just writing about it. His own mom. He died broke. Only 11 people attended his funeral. And again, he would have disappeared if it wasn't for Lenin reading Das Capital and declaring himself a Marxist. So trained Marxists. Are trained in some tactics, in the same tactics that Lenin used to create division and hatred between the classes of people in order to take over uh, the uh, place of Russia and other nations next to it and make them socialists, forming the USSR. So they're very, very good at propaganda and appealing to the sense of fairness in people. I mean, just read the Communist Manifesto to get uh, an idea of what they're thinking. It's not right for business owners to mistreat workers like the CCP does, which, by the way, is a communist party. But the answer is not to wipe out a system either that actually gives freedom and replace it with one that kills freedom. Again, it's their arrogance, their hubris to think that they can do it better than anybody else has in the past. And you know what's really ironic? Most of the useful idiots that promote socialism will be the first ones eliminated when the powers that be take over. So Marxism is coming back. And those radical, weather, underground, anti-American hippies back in the 60s and 70s got jobs in our schools and colleges, and they've been methodically indoctrinating our children on the false idealism of Marxism, which, by the way, we're going to get into the teachers' union and the communism that's involved in that. And it all sounds very kind and loving to make sure that everyone is taken care of and no one goes hungry. And you notice the tone they use when they're trying to feed you a bunch of poison? And unfortunately, those who live through it are dead and dying. And young people have no grid for Marxism, being associated with the Soviet Union, the atrocities there. And it's inspiring to young people. But like anything that's radical and left, the hypocrisy and irony is breathtaking. Listen to this from The Guardian. It says, In perhaps the most lovely rehearsal of the luxuriantly bearded revolutionary theorist's fortunes, Karl Marx was recently chosen from a list of 10 contenders to appear on a new app issue of MasterCard by customers of German bank Sparkasse in some city. In communist East Germany from 1953 to 1990, Chemins was known as Karl Marx Stott. Clearly, more than two decades after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the former East Germany hasn't uh, airbrushed its Marxist past. In 2008, Reuters reported a survey of East Germans found 52% believed the free market economy was unsuitable. And 43% said they wanted socialism back. Karl Marx may be dead and buried in Highgate Cemetery, but he's alive and well among credit-hungry Germans. Would Marx have appreciated the irony of his image being deployed on a card to get Germans super in debt? You'd think. The, I, it is unbelievable. You've got people that lived under socialism that were literally separated from their families by a wall. And because of propaganda and because of ignorance, these people are saying they want to go back to it. So people that have seen their countries taken over by communism and socialism are sounding an alarm. I want you to listen to Elizabeth, um, I don't even know how to pronounce her name, quite frankly. Uh, It's spelled R.G. Oh, Rogliani. Sorry, I misspelled it in my notes. Listen to her. She's from Venezuela. She lived during the downfall of it. Why do I even worry about some silly little statues coming down? Or some silly little street names changing? Why do I care? It's because the last time, I didn't care about this. I was a teenager. I have already lived through this thing when I was living in Venezuela. Statues came down. Chávez didn't want that history displayed. And then he changed the street names. Then came the curriculum. Then some movies couldn't be shown on certain TV channels. And so on and so forth. You guys think it can't happen to you? I've heard this so many times. But always be on guard. Never believe something can't happen to you. You need to guard your country and your society or it will be destroyed. And her uh, video went viral. It's about an hour long. But I just wanted to play that little clip because... Uh, she's not the only one. People from Cuba, people from uh, Venezuela, people from Russia and even China, they're trying to warn us about what's happening. And here's what's even more stunning. Christians are falling for this stuff. Marxism is an atheistic philosophy. Therefore, the way they view it is is to change society is to change people, hence the term social justice. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. Change people, and that will change society. So they have it backwards. you got to change society first to change people. And so you've got pastors that are actually giving away books on BLM and white shaming. Now, others believe that Jesus was a socialist and the early church was communism. You've got Acts 2, 44 through 45, and then you also have Romans 4, 32, Now, let me um, tell you that basically these scriptures talk about how the Christians um, had things in common. They brought their money and they distributed it to the poor. But it's not a true communist model because the problem is that it was only to those who were Christians. They had to be widows or orphans that could not naturally support themselves or widows that could not remarry. And there were very strict guidelines. Uh, One of them was... That um, if you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, Here in 2 Corinthians 3.10, it says, um, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to eat uh, or work, let him not eat. And then he also said in verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So he wants people to work. And there was another place where he said if a believer refuses to take care of his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. So work is supposed to be as unto the Lord and as an act of worship. And by the way, the word worship and work are from the same Hebrew word. But the most shocking story to people who believe that Jesus uh, was a socialist and the church was a communistic organization is Joseph, if you look at Joseph, he counseled Pharaoh to store up grain for seven years for the coming famine, and then he sold it to those in need. He didn't give it away. He sold it. I mean, that's just the audacity of Joseph to actually sell when people are starving to death. It's terrible. Now, look in uh, Proverbs eleven twenty-six. This is one of my favorite uh, scriptures. As a businesswoman, it says in uh, verse 26, The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Yep, it's right there. Sells it, not gives it, sells it. God designed meaningful labor. And people should uh, obviously not underpay and treat workers like slaves. That's for sure. But just because of harsh employers, that doesn't mean we destroy capitalism and embrace socialism. So the lie from left Christianity that we're supposed to uh, give entitlements and be a socialist uh, country and organization is a lie. Now, I want to end with this and then I'll go into part two next week. But as socialists and Marxists, billion people aren't supposed to uh, have any private property, especially the founder, but it looks like good old Patrice didn't get that memo. Uh, Basically, she has bought, let me see if I can find this, self-described trained Marxist. Um, She went ahead and bought a home in Topanga Canyon, California for $1.4 million. The white population there is a whopping 88.2%. The black population is 0.4%, according to a 2010 census. At uh, JoplinGlobe.com, it says, About Kohler's new home, a celebrity real estate website writes, A winding 15-minute drive from the commons at Calabasas and a slightly longer and somewhat less serpentine drive from Malibu's Getty Villa, the pine sized compound spans about one quarter of an acre. The property is not quite 2,400 square feet uh, it's divided between the three bedroom and two bath main house and a separate one bed, one bath apartment capable of hosting guests long term with a private entry and a living room with kitchenette. This is just one of three homes that she owns in the LA area. She's also eyeing property in the Bahamas at an ultra exclusive resort where Justin Timberlake and Tiger Woods both have homes. Luxury apartments and townhouses at the beachfront Albany Resort outside Nassau are priced between 5 and $20 million, according to a local agent. Interesting, isn't it? So that wraps it up uh, for this episode. Next week, we're going to dive into the witchcraft and the religion of BLM.